Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. A serialized non-fiction podcast that chronicles the story of 15-year-old Adrian Wilson's 147-day battle with primary liver cancer. As she lay dying, Adrian taught others, including her older sister Andrea, who raised her, how to live. Welcome back to Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. I am your host and storyteller, Andrea Wilson-Woods. Whether you're watching the video or listening to the podcast, I really appreciate you tuning in. Let's get started. Days 139 through 141, Monday through Wednesday, October 1st through the 3rd, 2001. Cancer, cars pass by, and they're pretty coats of paint. But I'm okay. Fumes, fumes. I'm slowly being burned. I won't leave though, cause everything is a-okay. Incinerate. A poem by Adrian without a date. I stare at the boxes lying everywhere and wonder where my stuff is. I was so focused on preparing Adrian's room and getting her things in order, it never occurred to me to put aside clothes for myself in case we had to leave the house on a moment's notice. I give up and grab my purse in hopes we will be back by morning. I can't believe we are not spending the first night in our new home. Instead, we will be at St. Joe's ER surrounded by white walls, roaring machines, and the absence of smell. John, Adrian, and I arrive in the early hours of Monday morning, though Adrian has no concept of time. She continues to slur her speech and struggles to breathe. A nurse weighs Adrian, 110 pounds, and takes her vital signs, blood pressure, 140 over 95, pulse, 150 beats per minute, and oxygen level, 88%. The doctor explains Adrian is in an altered level of consciousness most likely due to the tumors in her lungs blocking her ability to deliver oxygen to her brain. Besides giving her oxygen, the doctor orders the standard chest x-ray and a brain scan to rule out pneumonia and impaired mental capacity. However, he cannot read the x-ray due to the lung metastases, but the brain scan is normal. I try to appreciate this bit of good news, but I can't get past the 88% oxygen intake. There's been another change. Adrian needs oxygen. Knowing there is little else they can do, the staff at St. Joe's arranges for a transfer to UCLA. I ride with Adrian in the ambulance while John follows in his car. I ask him to go home first and get Adrian's tackle box, which contains all of her medicines. I think we're going to need them. I call Anya and Alex to let them know what's going on, and they promise to visit us later that day when Adrian has a room. I do these tasks with such ease, it frightens me. Upon arrival at UCLA's emergency room, we discover here cancer is not a magic password that bumps you to the front of the line. They are swamped and we have to wait our turn like everyone else. Of course, a nurse takes Adrian's vital signs. Her oxygen intake has decreased to 87%. Someone gives Adrian a room so she can lie down and be more comfortable. We wait several hours because there are no beds available on the pediatric floor. Until some patients are discharged, we are stuck in a small white room in the ER, 
and we are bored, tired, hungry, and most of all, scared. At 8 a.m., I give Adrian five milligrams of Marinol and four milligrams of Dilaudid. Except for the oxygen, the ER doctor has given Adrian nothing for pain, and I don't see why she should suffer while we wait for an official prescription when she already has one. I write down what I gave her in our notebook so I can tell her doctor later. By mid-morning, Adrian is assigned a room. John and I move like zombies as he pushes her wheelchair, and I carry our few belongings toward the elevator. I don't know how much longer I can go without sleep. I cross my fingers for a private room. A bright yellow sign hangs over Adrian's bed. It reads, Emma's allergies, Benadryl, morphine, Bactrim. I love it because this way a nurse cannot accidentally give Adrian the wrong medication, an incident that happened one time at Children's Hospital. The room is large and for now we have it to ourselves. The pediatric oncology unit is much smaller at UCLA compared to Children's. It is one wing of a floor instead of a floor unto itself. I wonder if it's easier for the nurses to have fewer patients with cancer or if it's more difficult because there are so many factors involved when dealing with oncology patients. Either way, the staff seems to know what they're doing and they don't mind when I ask if I can give Adrian the rest of her 8 a.m. meds, even though it's almost noon. We meet Dr. Donnie, another pediatric oncologist who works with Dr. Finn. He starts Adrian on Zithromax, an antibiotic, in case she has an infection. He schedules Adrian for a spinal CAT scan of her chest to check for any potential blood clots, which would explain the lack of oxygen. By mid-afternoon, Adrian's oxygen level has increased to 90%. She keeps the mask on at all times except when she wants to carry on a conversation, which she tries to do when Anya and Alex visit. They bring me clothes and toiletries they found after opening many unmarked boxes. While they spend time with Adrian, I go to the nearest bathroom to clean myself up. Dr. Quino is meeting with John, Adrian, and me this evening to discuss Adrian's treatment options. Shishi, Adrian calls me. Her words are muffled beneath the oxygen mask. She gestures toward the water pitcher. I pour her a glass and stick a bendy straw in it. She removes the mask, opens her mouth, and sips the water. Leaning over her, I notice a yellow film glazed across her eyes, and my stomach drops as if I'm on a roller coaster. What's wrong? asks Adrian. I can't lie. John and I have been honest with her through this whole ordeal. You seem to have jaundice. Oh, how can you tell? Your eyes, kiddo. There is yellow where it should be white. Oh, I didn't notice. I chuckle because she's making a joke and because I don't want to think about what being jaundiced means, but I can't help myself. Her liver is failing. With his no-nonsense stride, Dr. Quino walks into Adrian's room like he's about to preside over a corporate board meeting instead of a medical consultation with a family. He examines Adrian, notes the jaundice, appears unsurprised, and proceeds to discuss Adrian's test results, which concern him. While her basic blood work looks good, in the past three days, Adrian's bilirubin has increased to 2.8. Since last week, her cholesterol, which we thought was under control, has gone from 346 to 400. The Provacol isn't working, so Dr. Quino wants to stop it immediately. In fact, 
He wants to stop all drugs that are either doing more harm than good or not helping Adrian at all because the less medication her liver has to process, the better. Together, we review Adrian's list of prescriptions, Zolota and any other types of chemotherapy or experimental treatments are on hold until Adrian's CAT scan results tomorrow. Dr. Aquino stops the interferon because it can increase liver function. He nixes the antidepressant Celexa II, even though he doesn't believe Adrian had any allergic reaction to it. He replaces the antifungal mouthwash Nystatin with the antifungal pill Fluconazole because either the tumors or a possible fungal infection are causing Adrian's cough. Fluconazole is stronger than nightstatin and will be easier to administer once per day instead of four times per day. Then he prescribes a lidocaine wash to coat Adrian's esophagus, which may have sores due to the extensive coughing. Dr. Aquino says to continue the boost drink, Elevil, and Dilaudid, although he may try a different pain reliever with a longer half-life so Adrian can take less medication but receive the same impact. He cuts out magnesium, low overall, Prilosec, and the Paradex mouthwash, but we may still use Marinol, Valium, Zantac, Zofran, and Milk of Magnesia as needed. Although I listen and write everything down, I have my own agenda as well. Kirsten gave me a list of therapies to discuss with Dr. Aquino, and I won't be deterred from my mission. Before asking him about other possible treatments, I decide to address other issues that worry me. I ask him, Adrian continues to lose weight. Can't she have a feeding tube? Doesn't she qualify for TPN? I use the word qualify because Adrian has to be eligible in order for her health insurance to pay for it. Dr. Aquino explains, TPN is not effective in most cancer patients, especially in your sister's case, because the liver cannot metabolize the amino acids. I don't recommend it. I cross that option off my list. Adrian listens, but she doesn't say anything. I think she could eat more if the heartburn was gone. Dr. Donnie believes Adrian's liver pressing on her stomach is causing it. What do you think? I believe it's the Zolota, so the heartburn should subside if we decide to stop the treatment. What about trying thalidomide? Dr. Marco at Children's Hospital and Kirsten think it's a possibility for Adrian, but I don't tell Dr. Aquino what others have said about the drug. I don't think it's a good option. I stopped using it most of my patients because the amount of dosage needed to produce results is too toxic. Anya's mother, Sophia, is a champion of thymosin alpha-1, an experimental drug that treats hepatitis B. It may or may not help Adrian, but it won't hurt her. Dr. Aquino, however, dismisses the drug. So I ask again about what I believe is Adrian's personal savior, UFT. If Kirsten gets Adrian access to the investigational drug, Dr. Aquino agrees to administer it and to track Adrian's progress, even though his lack of enthusiasm is palpable. Dr. Aquino informs us Adrian qualifies for home oxygen because her previous disorientation and slurred speech was due to lack of oxygen and her condition has improved since she has been hospitalized and on oxygen around the clock. I know he means well, and we should be grateful Adrian will receive the care she needs at home, but seeing her with that mask on, knowing she needs it now, terrifies me. As Dr. Aquino walks out the door, I hear Adrian mumble, fuck off. 
I know she means fuck off, but her words don't have the impact she desires because the oxygen mask muffles them. I don't think Dr. Aquino hurt her, not that I care. John and I go to Adrian's bed to comfort her. I think about the conversation from her point of view. How many times did Dr. Aquino say no to a suggestion I made? He has all but said he will stop Zalota unless the CAT scan results show improvement. Adrian is angry because her doctor is giving up on her. I remember Dr. Aquino's email to Kirsten, which she forwarded to me. His last words were, I'm sorry, I can't offer her much help. If I were Adrian lying in that bed, listening to him, I would have said fuck off too. We are fighters. And if Dr. Aquino wants to give up, we'll find another ally. I don't wait for permission to give Adrian her 8 p.m. dosage of Dilaudid and Marinol. When I tell a nurse, she shrugs and notes it on Adrian's chart. Here, the staff doesn't seem to mind I'm on top of things, and for the most part, they leave us alone unless we need something. I request mashed potatoes for Adrian's dinner, but when I try to feed her, she shakes her head. Just one bite, kiddo. One. Too tired to argue, she opens her mouth and swallows the small portion on the spoon. Sissy. I wince as Adrian struggles to find the strength to speak. When can I go back to school? I press my lips together in an effort to maintain my emotions. One week ago, I was fighting for Adrian's rights to a suitable public education. And now, damn you, Jackson. Her mind is capable. Her body isn't cooperating at the moment. Don't worry about school right now. You'll catch up later. You have to focus on getting well, okay? I bet Adrian never thought I would dismiss school in such a manner. I mean what I say, though. I tell myself she can catch up. Later. You can't handle the truth. Adrian looks at me and says, Okay. Her disappointment fills the room. She puts her mask back on. She's done talking for now. I look at the monitor above her head. Her blood pressure remains about the same at 144 over 95, but her oxygen intake has increased to 93%. I watch her breathe with her eyes closed, though she isn't asleep yet. And I want to blame someone or something for this mess. Catastrophe? Disaster? I am searching for one word that describes this experience. Journey seems too positive, And despite what Adrian believes, I don't think cancer is her fate. If it is her destiny, then I cannot change it. Except the things I cannot change. No, there has to be a way to alter the outcome. I just don't know what it is yet. The CAT scan shows the tumors in Adrian's lungs have multiplied in the last month. I knew with the coughing, wheezing, increased pain, and decreased appetite 
the cancer had gotten worse. It was the only logical explanation for all of Adrian's symptoms. I thought I was prepared after Dr. Quino's discussion yesterday about stopping chemo, but when I hear the bad news, I feel as though Dr. Donnie delivered his best right hook into my gut. Adrian has little reaction, but John looks like he received the left hook. The wind knocked out of us. John and I listen as Dr. Donnie keeps talking. Despite the increased bilirubin in her system, Adrian has none in her urine. The test was negative. Dr. Donnie has ordered a blood transfusion for tomorrow since her hemoglobin continues to hover around 9.2. In order to improve her red blood cell count, he also increases her dosage of epigen from 34,500 units once per week to 37,500 units spread over three times per week. Besides receiving oxygen at home, Adrian qualifies for IV fluid, which will help her stay hydrated. Dr. Donnie changes Adrian's home labs from a CBC every Monday and Thursday to a CBC and chem panel every Monday. He decides to continue the Zithromax, although no infection has been detected. We don't know if we can go home tomorrow because Adrian's oxygen intake drops to 83% at one point. Dr. Donnie explains Adrian is not taking in enough breaths per minute to get enough oxygen in her body. Her respiratory rate is too low. However, throughout the day, Adrian improves until her oxygen is back up to 92%. I'm not sure what caused the change. Maybe it was Adrian's sheer will or the device a nurse attached to her mask to help her retain the flow of air. Either way, Dr. Donnie prepares Adrian's discharge orders. The next challenge is figuring out the at-home oxygen situation. In the hospital, the concentration of pure oxygen Adrian receives is 70%, but at home, she cannot go above 45%. I'm not sure why, it has to do with the tanks. She will have, however, what is considered a high liter flow because Dr. Donnie is prescribing five liters per minute. Over the next 24 hours, the staff weans Adrian off the higher percentage of oxygen until she is able to maintain an intake of 96% with only 45% pure oxygen. As Dr. Quino suggested, Dr. Donnie changes Adrian's pain medication from Dilaudid to Methadone, and it seems to work much better and last longer. He also replaces Prilosec with Pantoprazole. When I sign the discharge papers, I can't believe how short the medication list is. Excluding epigen, which I don't count because it's given through Adrian's central line, Adrian has five drugs now. Methadone for pain, Pantoprazole for heartburn, Elevil for anxiety and depression, Fluconazole to prevent fungal infections, and Zithromax to prevent other infections. Funny how I thought when she had fewer drugs, it would be a sign Adrian was getting better. Since Adrian's doctor stopped chemo, I wonder what we will talk about at the follow-up clinic appointment on October 12th. Will they consider other options? I spoke to Kirsten last night, and after doing more research, she agrees with Dr. Quino and Dr. Marco. UFT is essentially Zalota, and it will metabolize the same way in Adrian's body. She believes arsenic trioxide is a possibility. Last year, the FDA approved this chemotherapy drug for the treatment of acute 
acromyelocytic leukemia, but only preliminary studies have been done in China regarding treatment of liver cancer. Dr. Aquino is not optimistic. I am not giving up though. I've been researching what the FDA calls compassionate use, the treatment of a seriously ill person with new, unapproved drugs when no other options are available or satisfactory. Since Adrian qualifies, I could fight Bristol-Myers in order to grant compassionate use for UFT. With Sophia rooting for thymosin alpha-1, Kirsten for arsenic trioxide, and me for UFT, I feel as though something will come through for Adrian. I may have to fight a big pharmaceutical company because our three choices right now are all experimental. I think about all these things as I follow John through the maze of the parking structure. He pushes Adrian in a wheelchair and I see the small oxygen tank attached to its rear. As we walk down endless corridors, I realized we have crossed a threshold, entered new territory. I no longer have to worry about the side effects of chemo or if Adrian's white blood cell count is high enough for her to go out in public. Now, she needs oxygen 24-7, and I, well, I must find a miracle because that is what we need to keep her alive. Shit. Maybe I can handle the truth. Thank you for watching and listening to Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. Please subscribe to my channel and stay tuned for the next episode. You just heard a chapter from Better Off Ball, A Life in 147 Days, a story told and written by Andrea Wilson Woods. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends, and leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.